Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Oh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. As funny as that is, that is so true. According to a recent Newsweek article in August of 2006, for the first time ever, Americans owe more money than they make. And I don't know if you heard it, just this last week came out in Thursday's news a report that we are actually spending money. The average American is spending more money than they are earning. Americans don't save anymore. And that's the statistics from our government. And there are a few things that cause more worry, more stress, and more marital conflict than finances. It is a biggie. And do you know that in the Bible there are over 2,300 biblical references to money and possessions? Do you know that Jesus talked more about your possessions and your money than he talked about anything else? He talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. You read the Sermon on the Mount. A full one-third of his Sermon on the Mount is dealing with money and possessions. He says, this is a biggie, folks. This stuff matters. Let me read to you. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Any serious follower of Jesus Christ has got to take a look at their finances. Jesus said it's unavoidable. This whole series we're talking about living in high definition, living with a new definition about life and a new perspective on life. And then he says a big part of that, and we cannot ignore it, is our money. How do we handle our finances? How do we handle our money? He says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's that simple. And in this sermon, he gives three very distinct choices that you can make that are going to define your finances and define materialism for you. And as we look at them together this morning, I want you to kind of do a little personal inventory, if you would, and ask yourself these questions. The first question has to do with your investment. And the question is, where will I put my resources? Jesus said you got two options, but one choice. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, every one of us in this room here this morning have resources. Some have more than others. And most of us are thinking to ourselves, I don't have enough. (laughs) But the truth is, every one of us got here this morning by car. Every one of us will go home to a home or an apartment where we live. We will have lunch. We will eat a meal. Most of us will sit down with a lot of junk food and watch the Super Bowl this afternoon on our big screen TVs. You will go to bed tonight. You will get up tomorrow morning and most of us will go to a job where you will work and earn another paycheck at the end of this month and you will have just a little bit more than you had at the beginning of the month. And the question is, what are you going to do with that stuff? Jesus makes it very, very clear. you got a choice to make. Where are you going to put those resources? He said, will you store them up on earth? Well, he says, treasures on earth are where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Really, we are really good at storing up treasures on earth. We have a phenomenon that began only in the United States. Self-storage units. I mean, think about that. We pay rent for somebody to hold the stuff that we are not using. Does that make any sense at all? I remember when we first moved to Benicia, we moved from a home that was about half the size of the home that we bought when we moved here. And I remember moving into our house and bringing all of our furniture that was in our little daily city house. We moved it into our Benicia house. And I looked around and said, man, there's so much space. How in the world are we ever going to fill all this space? 16 years later, it's full. (laughs) It's full and the garage is full and I can only get one car in the garage now because i got so much stuff. Jesus says, where are you storing your stuff? He says, storing it on earth. He says, that's so uncertain. The stuff that you store here on earth, moths eat it, rust corrodes it, and what they don't get, the thieves break in and steal. And I think if Jesus were living today, he would say, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where technology makes obsolete. (laughs) 
Because everything that we have is so transient. And, and then what he's saying is there's a better choice, folks. There's a much better choice. He says, invest it in eternity. Because in eternity, your treasure in heaven is where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's simply saying, invest where it's going to last. Now, anybody with half a brain is going to say, that makes sense. In 2002, the European Union switched currency for all the different countries that had all their different currencies as a part of the European Economic Union. They all put them all together and came up with the euro. And in 2002, everybody had to change in the money that they had to the euro because that was going to be now the legal tender. And just this last year, in fact, the beginning of January of 2007, Slovenia entered the economic union, the European Economic Union, and they had to move from the tolar to the euro. Now, they had a two-week period. From January 1st to January 14th, both would be legal tender. You could use a euro, you could use a tolar. Either one would be accepted. But after the 14th, the tolar was no longer going to be legal tender. Now, there's a little bit of a grace window. You can still, up until March 1st, if you just happen to be going to Slovenia, before March 1st, you can still trade in for free your tolars and get the exchange for the euro. But after that, they're worthless. Now, anybody with a brain is saying to themselves, why would I hold on to money that's worthless? I like the picture on the paper, you know, I like the way the coins are stamped, I don't know. But why would you hold on to something that's worthless when you know, when you know just in two more weeks, three more weeks, it's going to be worthless? Why would you hold on to that when you could exchange it for something that will really buy stuff? It just makes sense. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Why would you hold on to stuff that's worthless? Why would you hold on to stuff that doesn't last? Why would you keep investing in the things that don't matter? He says, you got a choice. You can invest it here where it's uncertain, where it's going to fall apart, where it's going to decay, or where it's going to get stolen. Or you can invest it in heaven. It is stupid to hang on to something that is worthless. Now, notice he is not saying, take vows of poverty for poverty's sake. He's saying, no, take what you have and invest it in eternity. How do you invest it in heaven? How do you invest it in eternity? Paul wrote to Timothy, a young pastor, telling him how to teach his congregation. He said, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a foundation for the future. That's how you do it. How do you make treasure in heaven? He says, by doing good, generous with those in need, ready to share. When you invest in ministry, when you help the needy, when you bring God's kingdom to this earth in very tangible ways, you are storing up treasure in heaven. This past year, a record number of Northgate attenders took short-term mission trips. And it cost them a lot of money to do that. Some went to Mexico. Some went down to Peru, some went to Romania, some went to Uganda. And I will tell you, and you can ask every one of them who went, where their treasure is now. 
Because there's something about taking your resources and investing them in someone else and doing something good with it that all of a sudden they think, I think about Uganda more than I ever did in my life having gone on that trip. And those who went to Peru think about Peru more than they ever did in their life. Why? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you make your investment, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart always follows your treasure. So he says, you do the treasure thing first. You invest in eternity. That's where your heart will be. People have taken mission trips. People have sponsored orphans. We as a church have chosen to to sponsor a whole village in Uganda. This evening, we have a group of people who go over to Vallejo and serve homeless people meals. You could be a part of that. That's investing in eternity. S.O. Karras, our young adult ministry, sponsors Bread of Life. And we go and work with First Baptist Church in Vallejo and serve meals to those who are needy. You could take part in that, and in that, you are investing in eternity. When you come on Benevolent Sunday and you give so that we can help feed those who are needy among us, you are investing in eternity. When you sponsor an orphan in Romania, you are investing in eternity. When you use your resources to do good, to build God's kingdom, to do ministry in this world, to somehow bring the kingdom of God a little bit closer, you're investing in eternity. And Jesus said, that's the only smart investment you can make. It would be stupid to keep investing your money in the stuff that doesn't last. So the choice is one of investment. Where will I put my resources? And the second one is very, very closely related to it. It's a matter of perspective. And the perspective question is, how do I view my life? He says, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, he uses the eye as a metaphor for perspective. And in the context, because he talks about it right in this whole idea of of investing, in the context of it, he's talking about this, that you will not invest in eternity if you don't see that to be a reality. It's as simple as that. If, 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 If eternity is not a reality to you, you'll never invest in it. Because you don't really believe it's there. Or it's so far removed that you don't even think about it at all. So he says it's really a matter of perspective. Randy Alarcon wrote a book entitled Money, Possessions, and Eternity. I think it's a must read for every Christ follower. Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he does something in this book. And I'd like you to do this on your outline paper, would you? On your paper, under point two, put a dot. Okay? Just like that. Put a dot. And if you want to, put on there the year of your birth. In parentheses underneath. And then a line. And then how long you expect to live. Okay? You know, what year you think you might die. That's the dot. That's your life here on earth. Now, from that dot, draw an arrow. A line with an arrow in the end of it. That's eternity. Okay, that's what happens after that day of death. Which one's longer? <laughs> Which one matters? He says too often, 
as people, we live for the dot. And we don't see eternity. We're living for the dot. And the dot is so small. James 4.14 says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a mist that appears for a little while, and then it disappears. He's talking about the dot. Jesus told a story about short-sighted investing in Luke chapter 12. He talked about a man who was a very, very successful businessman. And he was so successful that he just kept, he was, a, he was a farmer and he kept, his crops kept producing and producing and producing. So much so that his barns were not big enough to contain all that he could store. And so he said to himself, what shall I do? Here's what I will do. I will build bigger barns. And that night, God said to him, you fool. Because tonight, your life is required of you. Here is a successful businessman who knows how to make things happen. He is so successful that he cannot contain all of the profit that he is gaining from the good business plan that he has. And in all of his planning and in all of his direction and in all that he did to prepare and to keep growing his business, the one thing he did not plan for was the most important. He did not plan for eternity. That's foolish. John Ortberg tells the story of learning to play Monopoly. His grandmother, he says, was a Monopoly queen. She was just, I mean, every time he would play Monopoly with his grandmother, she would just take him apart, you know. He would, you know, he would take his money and he would save it in court. She would invest and buy properties all the way around and he would land there and have to pay it out. And, and he would lose every time. And every time they would finish the game and he would put things away and she said, someday you'll learn to play the game. So one summer, he and his friend decided they were going to learn to play Monopoly. And they played it every day that whole summer long. And they played it and played it and played it until he became the Monopoly king. And then the final eventful day came when he played his grandmother in a game of Monopoly. And he writes this, Slowly, cunningly, I exposed my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. The game does strange things to you. I can still remember. It happened at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother. She taught me how to play the game. She was an old lady by now. She was a widow. She had raised my mom. She loved my mom. She loved me. I took her for everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. And then she had one more thing to teach, teach me. She said, now, it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave the board out. Bronze it, maybe, as a memorial of my sheer ability to play the game. <laughs> no, she said. None of it really is yours. You got all heated up about it for a while, but, in the long, but it was around a long time before you sat down at the board, and it will be here long after you're gone. Players come, players go, but it all goes back in the box. The game always ends. For every player, the game ends. Every day you pick up a newspaper and you can turn to a page that describes people for whom this week the game has ended. Skilled businessmen... An aging grandmother who was in a convalescent home with a brain tumor. Teenage kids 
who think they have the whole world in front of them and then somebody drives through a stop sign and it all goes back in the box. Houses and cars, titles and clothes, filled barns, bulging portfolios, even your body. It all goes back in the box. That's eternal perspective. Whatever we have accomplished, whatever we have earned, whatever we have amassed, eventually it all goes back in the box because this world is not our home. It really isn't. First Peter 1.17 and again in 2.11, he keeps repeating this over and over again through this letter. <laughs> Live your lives as strangers here. Dear friends, you are outsiders and strangers in this world. So I'm asking you not to give in to your sinful loggings. He says, keep an eternal perspective. This world is not our home. So then the question comes, so how much is enough? How do we make those choices? How do we decide between our wants and our needs? How do we make a, a difference between living just this life and living for eternity? How do you do that? How do you make that choice? Well, the best example I can give you is if you've ever gone backpacking. See, when you go backpacking, serious backpackers who go in like for weeks at a time, you got to carry all of that stuff on your back. So you make a decision. How much do I need to enjoy the trip without weighing me down too much? Think of yourself as a backpacker in this world. And the question and the answer will be different for every one of us. But it ultimately comes down to this. How much do I need to make this journey without weighing me down? To help you with that, we're doing this Good Sense workshop. Because I think the need is so great in our culture to learn how to manage our money and how to budget correctly. And Good Sense is going to be in about, uh, about a month. We're going to give you time to sign up for that. And you can use that insert to find out how do you make those decisions? How do you budget sensibly? How do you decide how much I need for the journey and how much I can invest in eternity? I encourage, if you've never taken this course, in fact, I encourage even if you have taken it, to take a refresher course on it. Because it's that important. You see, this whole idea of a good eye is really, in Hebrew, it's an idiom for generosity. And that's why um, Eugene Peterson gets very, very close to the true meaning of this, of this passage in his paraphrase. He says, if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you put blinds on your windows... What a dark life you will have. It's a question of perspective. The third choice has to do with allegiance. The question here is, who am I going to serve? Ultimately, with my life, who am I going to serve? He says, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. In fact, literally the word is mammon. And mammon is, 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 is materialism personified. It is wealth personified. And make no mistake, materialism is enslaving. Make no mistake about it. We read about consumer debt this week. And most people have such high credit card, the average credit card debt, I think it's gone up. It used to be just $10,000. And most people are just making the minimum payment. So in other words, they are still trying to pay off stuff that they have long used up and thrown away. That, by definition, is slavery. <laughs> Doing work for something you don't own. 
And materialism is a terrible slave driver. It wraps up our life and we pay for stuff long after it's gone. And then if we still own this stuff, we still are a slave to it. How many here are familiar with the joys of home ownership? (laughs) You are a slave to that front lawn. You are a slave to the plumbing that breaks down. You know, you are a slave to every bit that goes wrong in that place. Even though you still own it, you become a slave to it. And our possessions become the possessees. And we are the possessed. And Jesus said there is an inherent conflict of interest in that. You cannot serve both. Either he will hate the one, he says, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you can't play the middle. To not decide is to decide. Because our default is back to materialism. Which means we have to be intentional about who we're going to serve. You and I have to make a decision. We have to settle this whole idea and this whole issue of ownership. And in case you're mistaken on this or not quite clear on it, God owns it all. God owns it all. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And if you think, well, yeah, but I work hard and I, and I make my money and I buy my own stuff, I'm a self-made person. Well, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He owns it all. In fact, you might write this on your outline. God made it all. God owns it all. God has entrusted a little bit of it to me. He settled the issue of ownership. And then you begin to see, it's not mine to hoard. It's not mine to possess. God has given it to me to be able to use it for His ministry, for His kingdom in this world. got to break the stranglehold of materialism. And the only way you do that is by giving. See, our God is a generous God, and He wants His generosity to be reflected in the lives of His people. And the only way you can intentionally break the grip of materialism in your life is by being generous. It is by being aware of the needy. It is by giving to the needs. It is by giving to ministry that helps bring about the kingdom of God. It is about living a generous life. And God knew that. That's why very, very early on, He instituted a very simple plan called the tithe. 10%. And it started way back in the Old Testament, and it carries all the way through the New Testament. And He simply says, 10%, just as a reminder that I own it all, 10% you give back to me. You can live on 90%, but 10% is the Lord's. 10% of my income. I give directly back to God's work. And it is something that Betty and I have done before we were married. We've always done it. We've learned to live on the 90%. In fact, what we have learned over the years is 10% is just the beginning spot. What he really wants is for us to live generous lives. And so he has stretched us and challenged us to take on new acts of generosity and giving. And I'm not going to tell you what that percentage is right now because it's none of your business. (laughs) But I am telling you, it starts at 10%. Because it's the constant reminder, I don't own this. This is God's. 
And if I can't part with 10% of it, then who's really holding on to the purse strings here? It is training and disciplining myself, discovering who it is I'm really going to serve. We as a church decided to take on the sponsorship of a Ugandan village back in November. And the outpouring was wonderful. And I I want to commend our church for that. And people gave above and beyond and and, and gave to this ministry. And and it's about $22,000 to be able to build a medical clinic, to be able to build a church building, um, sanitary toilet facilities, dig a well, and provide a home for a pastor of a church, and then furnish the church. It's about $22,000. And the response was tremendous. And people gave, and and just, oh, it was exciting and everything. We raised about $16,000, and then we stopped. We're about $6,000 short. Still. See, it's easy to get all fired up about something when it's really exciting. Something else to discipline ourselves to keep giving. We can't leave that project unfinished, folks. And we can break it down however we want. If 100 people will give $60, if 60 people will give $100, all I'm saying is we need to learn to be generous because our God is a generous God. And we cannot leave His work unfinished in this world. We cannot. Because it's His kingdom. It's His work. And it's His resources. And He's given a little bit of it to you and to me. Not for hoarding on our own. Not for building bigger barns. And my barn is too big as it is. We need a different perspective. It's as simple as that. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, It is required of those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's our task. He's given us a trust. We must prove faithful. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus said, this is important stuff. If we don't get a handle on materialism, it will take its stranglehold on us. If we don't settle the issue of ownership, we will become slaves to anxiety and stress and all that comes with that pull of materialism on our lives. Jesus said it simply, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We cannot continue building bigger barns when so much of his kingdom is left undone. When so many people in his world are still in need. We cannot keep building bigger barns. Let me ask you this morning. Where's your treasure? In all honesty, your treasure what's your perspective on your life are you living for the dot living for the line and ultimately comes down to who will you serve
think it is fair to say that every one of us in this room struggles with materialism. We have so much available to us. And we have so many resources with which to purchase it. And if we don't have the resources, we have credit. And all that does is enslave us deeper and deeper. When you came to set us free. Lord, let us understand this issue of materialism in its right perspective. It has to do with where we're investing. And it has to do, it really does have to do with how we see our lives. And ultimately, it does have to do with who we're serving. Lord, free us from the stranglehold of materialism that would enslave us and bind us up and teach us to live generous lives. For your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.